This is the Crop Critic with your host, Andrew Brandt. Brought to you by Choice Edibles and Elixir Extracts. This week's guest, David Malmo Levine, contributor to Cannabis Culture, activist, activist. Episode 1 1 The Sea World. Good afternoon, and welcome to the first episode of The Chronic Critic, with weed news, strain reviews, and weekly guests that are taking talk shows to a higher level. Today's episode is called The C-Word Can Save the World. No, it isn't the favorite curse word of our English friends, it's cannabis. It's a common misconception that hemp and marijuana are two different species of plant. In fact, they're not distinct species at all. They're just two different names for cannabis and it can replace fossil fuels and begin repairing the environment. Today's guest for our segment, Inside Cannabis Country, is a 30-year activist and longtime chronic critic himself, contributor to Cannabis Culture magazine, and once proclaimed the most flamboyant paw activist, Mr. David Malmo Levine. The strain of the week from our segment, Getting Critical, at 420, is a heavy indica from fresh and tiny Nagamohawk territory. But before we get into those segments, we're going to take a look at the hemp lines brought to you by Choice Edibles. It's the weed news before the strain reviews. Now it's time for the hemp lines, brought to you by Choice Edibles. From High Times Magazine, a Canadian study finds significant reduction in opioid use linked to medical cannabis authorizations. Meanwhile, Leafly reports 246 cannabis stores within a 50-kilometer radius of the CN Tower, leaving Mississauga totally surrounded. Only 200 kilometers away is the Bay of Quinney, which is not only beautiful, it's home to some of the best strains that you'll ever be able to find. On indigenous territories you don't have, that don't have to follow government rules with some of the best chronic around. Canadian producers, although, have destroyed nearly 500 tons of packaged cannabis products and hundreds of tons of unpackaged cannabis since adult use was legalized back in 2018, according to data acquired by MJ Biz Daily. In addition, almost 6 million packages were destroyed in 2019 and 2020, which consisted of 3,783,397 packages of dried cannabis, 1,500,396 packages of extracts, 714,491 packages of edibles, 943 packages of topicals. Health Canada did not say why the cannabis was destroyed by producers, but industry sources cite various reasons for regular destruction, including clogged sales channels as provinces opened stores slowly in the early years of legalization, cannabis was produced before appropriate licenses had been secured, such as sales licenses, low quality production, production for testing only, 
Producers stockpiling cannabis in 2019 for the launch of 2.0 products such as edibles and most extracts in 2020. If the product was destroyed because it was unsaleable, that would indicate the producers were unable to grow quality cannabis as they scaled up their output. Maybe if all the growers weren't still either in jail or didn't hold a criminal record, they could have grown some good chronic and nobody would have wasted the time and money. Tyndenegg Township Council has cleared the way for the development of a cannabis production and processing facility in the township. The council approved the site plan in agreement with Wolf Island Cannabis, Inc. The business will be located at 7455 Old Highway 2, just east of Briar Fox Golf and Country Club, owned by the Mohawks of the Bay of Quinney. Existing buildings on the property, formerly used to raise and train horses, will be utilized for the growing and processing of cannabis. Tyndenegg Township is directly beside Tyndenegg Mohawk Territory, home to more than three dozen cannabis dispensaries selling unregulated products with little enforcement. The Mohawk Council of Ganawage announced they signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Health Canada creating a licensing regime alongside the territory's cannabis laws, allowing businesses to pursue cannabis cultivation for processing licenses. Tanya Peron, a Yajahayas, or elected chief of the Ganawage First Nation, told BNN Bloomberg, it was obvious that there needed to be a relationship with Health Canada to provide for the exchange of information for them and Cannabis Control Board. In Los Angeles, Shikari Richardson, the gold medal favorite to win the 100-meter race at the Tokyo Games before testing positive for marijuana, told TMZ she's doing fine and maintaining a positive outlook on the ordeal. She says, I just know what I have to do moving forward in my career. If you can smoke weed and run at super speed, they should send her the medal. The Olympics is a joke, and so is the mainstream media for demonizing her and not steroid burrito Houlihan. At least we'll be able to see Richardson in Paris in 2024. Next up, the strain review on getting critical. Before we get into our strain of the week, here are the five Olympic level cannabis strains according to Leafly. The first one is Tokyo OG, an 80% indica dominant hybrid, has 20 to 24% THC, with a relaxing, euphoric, happy, and sleepy effect. Has symptom reliefs for bipolar disorder, cancer, depression, muscle spasms, nausea, and spinal cord injury. The flavor has a diesel, lemon, pine, and sweet essence to it. Next is 24 karat gold, a 60% indica dominant hybrid with THC levels of 18 to 24% and 1% CBD. This strain has euphoric, happy, relaxing, and sleepy effects with symptom reliefs of arthritis, bipolar disorder, chronic pain, depression, fatigue, ins inflammation, insomnia, loss of appetite, migraines, PTSD, and stress. The flavor is citrus, orange, and sweet. Next is Triple OG, an 80% indica dominant hybrid with THC levels of 20 to 30%. Effects are body high, happy, relaxing, and uplifting with symptom relief of anxiety, arthritis, cancer, chronic pain, cramps, and PMS. The flavor of this strain is herbal, pine, spicy, sweet, and woody. From Belleville, Ontario, just outside Tyndenega Mohawk Territory, comes the Incredible Hulk a 70% sativa dominant hybrid with THC levels of 15 to 
has a creative, energizing, euphoric, focused, happy, and social effects with symptom relief for depression, fatigue, loss of appetite, mood swings, nausea, and stress. The strain has a berry, herbal, and sweet flavor. Last is Tidal Wave, a sativa-dominant strain with 19 to 20% THC levels. The effects are uplifting, energetic, and focused, and has symptom relief for depression, stress, and anxiety. Now, the strain of the week for this week um, is Purple Bull Rider. This strain is from Fresh in Tainanaga Mohawk Territory at 414 York Road. This one is nearly 100% indica, has a THC level of 17%, and it treats stress, depression, and insomnia. It has berry, fruity, herbal, honey, pine, spicy, and sweet flavors to it. So those are the strains to check out, and as we know, there are celebrities that have been getting into the cannabis game as well. There's Seth Rogen with Houseplant, Jay-Z with Monogram, Snoop Dogg has Leafs by Snoop, and Tommy Chong. Of course, you can just go with Tommy Chong's. Um, there's also Jason Gann of Wilfred. I've had the chance to speak with Jason Gann on several occasion and occasions, and he truly is passionate about cannabis and uh, the medical benefits not only physically, but spiritually, mentally, mentally and emotionally as well. Um, Jason Gann is hands-on with his weed company as the founder and CEO of Wilford Cannabis. The Australian comic and actor and producer is also the face of the line of pre-rolls as Wilfred, the central character of the TV series he co-created that ran on FX for four years from 2011 to 2014. Starring Elijah Wood as a depressed ex-lawyer who bonds with his neighbor's dog, played by Gann in a dog suit, the show was full of 420 storylines. In the very first episode, the duo breaks into the hated neighbor's room and steals his homegrown plants. Wilford Cannabis is available in dispensaries across California. That's getting critical. Stay tuned for a conversation with David Malmo Levine. He's a 30-year cannabis activist and contributor to Cannabis Culture magazine. His websites include potfacts.ca, herbmuseum.ca, and pot-shop.ca. Welcome to the show, David. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, we've spoken on several occasions. Um, for those that haven't heard our conversations before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what, the work that you do? Sure. Um, I started uh, writing about hemp and cannabis in 92 and started organizing smoke-ins and protests in 93 in Edmonton. And then in 95, I came out to Vancouver and started kind of being a rabble rouser. We uh, evolved the cannabis farmers markets that we have twice a year from uh, the hemp BC activism days. And um, we, I made it to the Supreme Court of Canada self-represented on pot dealing charges in 2003. Um, I opened up something called the Herb School in 2004 and that got shut down in 2008, but I managed to create a museum around that. That's at herbmuseum.ca. And then uh, I've just lately been working at the Coca Leaf Cafe, selling coca tea and shrooms and kratom and peyote cacti and microdelics and all sorts of fun stuff from there. And I've been working on a book on cannabis psychosis. Uh, I'm calling it Reefer Madness 1895 to the present. How uh, 
how the man has been lying about pot. It doesn't make kids stupid and crazy. Well, that's kind of an extended title. I don't know if that'll be the actual title, but that's kind of the theme of the book. Uh, and I'm just basically arguing that cannabis is our coevolutionary plant partner. Everyone, everyone, no matter what age or uh, tax bracket they are in, deserves to have access to it. There should be a window box economy. So if you have access to a window box, you should be able to grow it and sell it, make money off it. You should uh, be able to grow it no matter what. It should be like a house plant or a coffee coffee tree. Everyone can grow a coffee tree. Everyone can sell coffee beans and everyone can drink coffee. So pot should be like that. Absolutely. And, you know, it's because of people like you that have been fighting for so long that we're able to have, you know, stuff like this, you know, these kind of edibles that there's stuff like, you know, we're able to smoke on the street now. We can walk down the street smoking a joint, you know. Yeah, we're kind of halfway done with legalization. Now. We've legalized it for the rich and the old. And now we got to legalize it for the young and the poor. That's right. And there's all kinds of ways that we can take away from the rich and, you know, make sure that we can start living sustainably. We can work with each other. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today, because you've been looking into it for a long time, doing your research into replacing fossil fuels with hemp. And that's earlier right. in the episode, I had uh, mentioned to people that hemp and cannabis are the same plants in different words. Right. Yeah. So that's a common misconception that people have. So can you can kind of explain to us a little bit more about how we could replace fossil fuels with the hemp plant? Um, well, sure. Um, you can get fuel from the stock. And if you grow hemp, industrial hemp close together, uh, you get basically um, very only the buds are only on top and then the stock is in the middle and uh, you can use, uh, I think, um, enzymes to turn that to ethyl alcohol cellulosic alpha alcohol and that if you have a conversion kit on your car uh, 100 to 500 dollar conversion kit uh, you can turn any gas power car into an ethanol power car and then you start saving money because it's five times cheaper at the pump uh, uh ethanol spill would just evaporate so if you spilled a gallon of gasoline on your front lawn and a gallon of hemp ethanol on your front lawn the next day the gasoline would have killed all the grass where you spilled uh, a gallon of gasoline, but you couldn't find where you put the ethanol spill. It would just evaporate. So no more oil spills, uh, no more oil wars because hemp will grow in sand. It'll grow in almost every country on earth. So each country could become energy independent. We stop fighting over these uh, non-renewable resources. So no more oil wars. And as for climate destabilization, hemp acts as a carbon sink. 30% of the CO2 is trapped in the soil in the form of roots and leaves. 30% more than is burned when you burn it. So it actually is carbon negative. Instead of being carbon neutral, it's carbon negative. It would reverse the greenhouse effect and save the world. The only downside is that the oil companies would no longer rule the world. And that's the downside that keeps it from being regulated reasonably or responsibly. So what we need to save the world, basically, I've narrowed it down to this, uh, remove the red tape around industrial hemp, uh, factor the health and environmental costs into the cost of each product. So hemp suddenly becomes very competitive against uh, non-renewable energy. And the third thing is um, to shift the subsidies away from non-renewable energy and towards renewables, wind, wave, sun, uh, geothermal, and of course, cellulosic ethanol, which is what we would be putting in our gas tanks. And, uh, and if it's not a sunny day, you have all your fuel 
in tanks rather than uh, relying on the sun or a windy day or what have you. Uh, it's, it's basically the ideal fuel to, to put humankind back on a sustainable path with the environment. Yeah, for the past 500 years, we've seen that uh, resource extraction. We've seen uh, the destructions, the oil companies going through <clears throat> those uh, prophecies of the black snake, you know, different things like that. And then finally, the, there's these uh, insurance companies that are finally dropping out of, you know, um, like such as the TS, the Trans Mountain Pipeline. They're yeah, well, that that's a good that. sign. But and, really, uh, if if we just stick with the uh, the renewables other than uh, cellulosic ethanol, we're still carbon neutral, and that really doesn't reverse the greenhouse effect. It just kind of keeps us in an okay position. What we want to do is we want to start taking all that carbon out of the atmosphere. And you're you're right to point out that um, it's been going on for a long time. The exploitation of the planet and the exploitation of human beings are linked together. And the way out of this is to treat everybody fairly, to have uh, profit sharing and, and uh, fair trade instead of free trade and to start treating each other and the planet with some respect. And I think uh, the native community can teach the white man a thing or two about how to do that because uh, uh, I've looked into it a little bit. I, I think there are some examples of uh, human beings living uh, at peace with each other and, and the planet uh, that come from the native community, but very few that come from uh, white people. Yeah, well, you know, there used to be <clears throat> that kind of tribal experience, but it was the colonization that essentially wiped that out because even the Britons, they had their own tribes and, you know, they did their own things on their island, you know, so yeah. they were assimilated and things happened to them. So you know, it's, it was a worldwide thing that happened. And um, to be able to talk about, you know, giving back, putting back into the atmosphere, giving back to the earth, we've been trying to teach people that for ever since contact, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah at, well, a few people are listening, but more, more need to be. Yeah, and like we've even said, this is this, the whole North America is shaped like a turtle. And then it wasn't until 100 years later and when they said, oh, look it, it's shaped like a turtle, <laughs> you know? But it's just like we're saying, like cannabis isn't a bad thing. Mm. Cannabis is a medicine. Like the C word is not a bad word, you know. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to putting hemp into uh, fuels, um, could the, the hemp fields possibly, you know, improve the environment? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about hemp, it's kind of the buffalo of the plant kingdom because you can use each and every part of it. Um, you can get fuel from the stock. You can get food probably the best food on planet earth from the seed. You can get medicine, even from the industrial hemp uh, has CBD, it's high in CBD. So you can get medicine from the buds. Uh, you can get fertilizer from uh, the roots and the leaves and, and something called biochar, which is kind of burn up some of the extra stuff, or you can field red it and have that fertilizer just come down, um, being washed into the soil from the rain. Um, so you can get, four or five things from one crop and uh it can solve all all kinds of problems at the same time <laughs> there's nothing you can't do without it and you know it helps your mind it helps your body it's spiritually yeah. there's people that use it you know for spiritual purposes for meditation um different things like that so it has a range of everything to yeah yeah and then uh, another added bonus of getting this right and figuring this out is uh, the chance to maybe end scapegoating 
on planet Earth too, because that's been a relationship uh, that hasn't gone very well. It hasn't served us well as just to pick a whole group of harmless people and say, they're the problem without any evidence at all, basically. And then uh, they're a distraction from the real problems, which I think are our rulers, so the people who dictate what everyone else should do without any input. Um, so scapegoating is kind of like, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a parasitical relationship, really. And what we need to do is establish a precedent where in order to criminalize a group of people, you have to have evidence of their inherent harmfulness ahead of time. You can't just point your finger, say bad guys, and then throw a whole you know, nation in jail. Right. Uh, so uh, we, we would benefit from uh, ending scapegoating on planet Earth. And I think getting a, a good form of legalization uh, would help us do that and realize uh, these relationships can can no longer be a part of humanity. Uh, we also have a problem with war. Uh, there's uh, the fact that you can make money off of war. Uh, the drug war is money making for the prison system. It increases police budgets. Uh, and and uh, this this kind of relationship has to end. And also, the thing we're going through with COVID right now, that's another kind of war. It's kind of bio war or bioterrorism. There's a lot of signs from my research. I, I wrote uh, a couple of articles in Cannabis Culture. It's called uh, COVID-19 Cannabis and Herbal Medicine, Part 1 and Part 2, Gain yeah. of Function. So uh, I encourage people to check those out. But bio warfare is, is where they release a virus that they made in a lab. And I'm not talking Wuhan, I'm talking North Carolina lab. Right? <laughs> yeah. They release this virus and then they make a ton of money off uh, the vaccines. They make a ton of money off proprietary medicine and uh, they get uh, a control grid in place where everybody's isolated and alone and controlled and then fearful of going out into groups. And yeah. uh, it kind of benefits our rulers and at the expense of everybody else. And we got to end that kind of relationship as well. In my article, I explore non-proprietary alternatives to the vaccine. And it turns out hydroxychloroquine, hey, Trump was right about one thing. I mean, he's a racist, <laughs> classist, fascist, rapist, but, but he was right about hydroxychloroquine and zinc. It's a non-proprietary medicine. It came from the- That's what they say about a broken block, right? <laughs> it, 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 it's like, it's, like a, a, it's been around forever, so they can't, jack up the price on that medicine so it's real cheap and it's yeah. been used in all over the world against malaria and the reason why you don't see as much COVID in Africa is everyone's on hydroxychloroquine for that and colloidal silver and wormwood and cannabis to reduce inflammation and all these herbal medicines uh, oh what's a, a oregano for a sore throat uh, wild oregano oil uh, vitamin B uh, knack and and all these other medicines that i list in my my article uh tend to actually work better on covid than the vaccines they're giving and now now they're saying with the variant people are going to need booster shots and maybe a vaccine every day or, or every year or every twice a year or something like that and it's just a bad relationship when you see the safety and efficacy records of these vaccines and not good uh with the system we have in place to recognize side effects is it's kind of broken so um, we, we have to learn that uh, capitalism kind of puts things, uh, creates things 
for the needs of the producers at the expense of the consumers. And, and cannabis uh, is uh, prohibition kind of rose out of that because uh, the producers didn't want something that everyone had access to that would help everyone. They wanted things they could monopolize. So they first made cannabis illegal. And then when they legalized it, they created a cartel again for the, for the producers at the expense of the consumers. And so uh, if you go through the lists, our transportation system, our energy systems, all sectors of the economy are geared to the meet the needs of the producers at the expense of the consumers. And we have to end that basically and start making things uh, for the, the consumers and for planet earth and for our, our communities and the producers, they should be able to make a living, but not a killing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you were saying. That's why the uh, indigenous cannabis communities and industries are such a threat to yeah. the uh, Canadian government and the legalization of cannabis because we're already sovereign. We already know how to use it. We already have experience with business, yeah. you know, and we are all about using it to help people to, you know, and help better your mind, help better your body. That's why we have all the edibles and extracts and different things like that. You know, we don't just smoke it, you know. Yeah. Um, that's why we have all these things and it's a danger because when, when you go to a government store, what you're buying is a whole bunch of plastic with a little bit of leaf inside. When you come yeah, to a, a store, little... what you're buying is you're buying a bag with that's stuffed with bud. Yeah, <laughs> or, yeah no, know, I, I agree. Our well, business model has been uh, um, serving us well over the past 40 years uh, and uh, the legacy growers and the people involved yeah. in the industry should definitely have a seat at the legalization table. They what should. you see, Trudeau and his buddies tried to just give it to a whole bunch of cops and uh, business guys and yeah. cut everybody else out of the equation. So it's fight. Legalization was just the the first battle in a series of battles, and now we need to turn shitty legalization into good legalization. It'll be guys like you and me uh, working together to uh, demystify legal cannabis and say, hey, no, it's not just for millionaires. It should be for everyone to grow and deal and sell and use. Uh, that's the real battle. It is 100% because if you go and check out any of their policies or anything like that, there's no people involved in it. It's all corporations. It's all these boys clubs, you yeah. know, that are government funded, that are, you know, all those things. There's nothing to do with any of the people. And when it comes to all the people, the government's telling you that, oh, people don't want it this or don't want that. The only thing that legalization was, was smoke and mirrors so it could get into the office. <laughs> You yeah, know? yeah, I agree completely. My website, corporations. Yeah, I, I agree completely. My, my website, potfacts.ca, is just a collection of facts that would help someone who wants to make the argument that uh, the cartel has no justification for existing. It's just a, a collection of facts for that. So uh, if people want to get involved, uh, the first step is an education campaign to uh, poke holes in, in their talking points. They say, Oh, we're trying to uh, increase the quality of the cannabis and uh, eliminate uh, organized crime from the marketplace. Oh, you're not. No, when you're you corporatize, not. When you corporatize cannabis, you immediately put the profit motive first and foremost, and every other consideration, including quality, gets uh, left by the wayside. So uh, potfacts.ca has a collection of evidence that uh, their corporate pot is uh, more moldy, more filled with pesticides and of lower quality than the uh, legacy growers. Also, yeah, we've, we've, we've they, had uh, people in the territory test it before, and it's not 
is good quality. You know, oh it's man, it's terrible. It's terrible. Sometimes they're using uh, uh, a pesticide that was used to kill Jews in World War II, the hydrogen cyanide or something like that. It, Eagle 20, I think uh, when you burn it, it cleaves to hydrogen cyanide. No, uh, that didn't happen back right. in the prohibition days when it was just people who were selling pot on their reputation. Right. The, the other thing is uh, the Senate uh, could have closed a loophole that would have prevented people from owning a licensed uh, producer corporation anonymously, but they didn't because they wanted to keep the gangsters into the business. The gangsters, they protected the gangsters and allowed them to function in the marketplace. And that's, that's um, another thing that's exposed at uh, potfacts.ca. So check that website out if you want to expose uh, the cartel for what it is. Definitely, because like you said before, um, anybody can open a coffee shop. Like I, we have a coffee business ourselves. We have Turo Coffee Co. Um, we have the website. We can get beans anywhere. We can get anything like that. Any access. We can sell it across Canada, no matter what. You know, yeah, we can how many border? It's fair trade. That's right. You know? And how many raids were there on uh, coffee-related businesses last year in Canada? Is the number higher than zero? I don't think so. Exactly. Uh, how many people got busted for growing coffee or importing coffee beans? Zero. And how many kids? got their coffee taken away from them by the cops. How many kids got busted for coffee possession? Zero. And that's how it should be for cannabis too. It's a soft drug like coffee, has about the same number of victims and the same cost to society. Uh, yeah. And coffee doesn't make kids stupid or crazy. Cannabis doesn't make kids stupid or crazy. And uh, they should just leave us alone and let us have our relationship with this plant, which has helped human beings evolve over the last uh, 100,000 years, really. Exactly. You've, you even mentioned before how it's been used. Even the seeds are nutritious. They hold nutrition. Chinese people back 2000 years ago knew this and were using this. Sure. You know, probably like, older. So the, the, the nice thing about uh, hemp seeds is that it's the uh, most digestible source of protein on planet Earth. Plus, it has essential fatty acids in the perfect ratios for human nutrition. And the thing about essential fatty acids is that they're essential. You need them for a healthy immune system. So it's really denying people cheap hemp seeds that is uh, responsible for a lot of the disease and the malnutrition in the world. So we gotta remove the red tape around industrial hemp and allow everyone to grow it anywhere at any time so they can stay healthy. Right, we get what, what came with the uh, legalization and stuff like that with the red tape that kind of put it, made it into a fad. People that wouldn't do it anymore started to kind of do it and this kind of drove the cost up <laughs> you know yeah well when they first legalized industrial hemp in 97 they made a whole bunch of stupid rules saying oh you needed at least 10 acres uh nobody working on a hemp farm could have a criminal record and the kicker the one that basically consolidated all the money into the hands of the few was that you needed to buy the seeds from the same guy every year. The seed breeder licenses were the hardest to get. You needed basically the equivalent of, of 10 years uh, of, of a, uh, apprenticeship under another breeder and a science degree, the equivalent, uh, in order to get a breeding license. So they kept, that, they kept that money in the hands of a couple, a few people that they could, could control and use. Uh, and and that, that's how they monopolized the industrial hemp industry. 
I spoke up at the time, but of course I was, I was shut down by this guy named Dave Watson, who uh, he, there's an interesting story behind Dave Watson too. We, uh, I talk about it in Vansterdam Comics, which is my 420 page full color comic history. Uh, uh, <laughs> you can some, I think Weeds still sells it and the Coca Leaf Cafe sell it, sells it. But uh, yeah, that Watson head. guy is a pretty sketchy guy. And he, he, he spoke up in favor of the, the uh, hemp seed monopoly back in 97 at this uh, convention in Vancouver we were having. Uh, I think he did the whole world a disservice when he did that. Yeah. And <laughs> no wonder the, uh, the quality and everything like that shot down. If you have all the, all the people, if you're not allowed to have a criminal record, <laughs> you know, and before they were throwing everybody in jail, yeah. all the growers were coming out of jail. Yeah. 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 Anyone with experience growing cannabis exactly. wasn't allowed to grow cannabis. Exactly. Like, so you just got people that study it? No, that's not going to work, you know? So um, we definitely need to get people over to your site. We're going to have it in all in the description of the episode. We're going to have it everywhere. So fantastic. Um, uh, is there, tell us a little bit about the last article that you uh, talked about there. Um, Which uh, article was that? Um, it was the one uh, you just... The what last was it about? Culture. Um, the COVID-19 cannabis yes, and herbal medicine one? Yeah, okay, so I've been curious about the history of biological warfare for a long time, and I collected a lot of books on it and did a lot of reading. And as it turns out, AIDS, HIV, was made in a laboratory in a place called uh, Fort Detrick, Maryland, mm -hmm. which is the uh, US Army's bioweapons lab by a guy named Robert Gallo who ended up uh, being one of the discoverers of AIDS, but actually <laughs> the inventor of AIDS is more like it. Yeah. What, what they did uh, was they combined hepatitis B and feline leukemia, and basically AIDS. Uh, and, and then they distributed that particular disease in hepatitis B vaccines in New York and Africa at around the same time, 76, 77. Yeah. And then, oh, 1979, 1980 rolls around and you start getting uh, outbreaks in those two places at the same time. Weird, what a weird coincidence. And so cor coronaviruses, when they were discovered in the late 60s, weren't lethal. They didn't kill people. You just had like a cold uh, and uh, then they started messing around with them and they did this stuff called gain of function research. Now gain of function means you take a virus and you genetically manipulate it, you do some inserts and you make it either uh, more transmissible or more lethal or both. <laughs> and then what you have is SARS popped up in 2002, uh, MERS popped up in 2011 and these are coronaviruses that were suddenly lethal. That's a sign of a bioweapon is that uh, suddenly a non-lethal virus becomes a lethal virus. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of put all the evidence of uh, COVID-19 being a bioweapon together in, in a certain order uh, I, that the uh, Gain, there's gain of function research going on already in, in these viruses, especially in, uh, by Ralph Barrick of North Carolina. Wuhan 
the, the Wuhan Institute, that bioweapon safety level four uh, laboratory in Wuhan, China has only been open since 2017. Yeah. But uh, the US has been uh, making bioweapons since World War II. Right. And so they've had the experience, they've had a lot of uh, experience using these bioweapons on places like China and Korea in the 50s and yeah. releasing AIDS uh, in the 70s. So they're the ones with all the experience. And, and then because you look the at the vaccine industry itself. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, the vaccine industry uh, before COVID was about $60 billion a year. Well, if you create a virus that everybody in the world needs a vaccine for, that's like $50 a shot, suddenly uh, your $60 billion a year industry uh, mushrooms to about $360 billion a year. It uh, more like six times the size, right? Uh, that's a huge temptation for these uh, big pharma companies to ignore. Uh, they do not have a great track record ethically. If you look at the history of big pharma, it's nothing but murder and war profiteering and, uh, and horrible exploitation. Uh, Google IG Farben. That's uh, Bayer and Horst and BASF in Germany and a bunch of Swiss chemical companies. They did terrible things in World War II. Everything Hitler did in World War II, uh, IG Farben was busy doing back in World War I. So yeah. uh, these are not ethical companies and that's too much temptation. That's too many zeros for them to ignore. So I think they had the motive, the means and the opportunity to release these bioweapons on planet Earth. And I, I think uh, uh, the uh, lab origin the North Carolina lab origin should be looked at a little more closely by journalists who uh, aren't tools of the evil empire. Exactly. And it's hard to find some of them every so often, isn't it? Man, so. the, the amount of journalists with integrity is almost as little as the amount of politicians with integrity. There's very <laughs> few. The, the more you rise in the ranks of responsibility in this uh, society, the less integrity you seem to have. It's, uh, it's incredible. Exactly. And, you know, plants like uh, cannabis being banned and being restricted and all that, you know, indigenous people have experience with that going back because we've always known the quality of, you know, natural medicines and how natural medicines can help us. Like cannabis yeah. isn't just to get people high. You know, hey, I got a joke for you. Tell people, but it's there for all kinds of different things. And there's ways that you don't even get high off of it. You don't even get the THC content from it. That's you know, true. So. That's true. Hey, I got a joke for you. What's that? Okay. Uh, there's a, a First Nations guy and a black guy in a car together. Who's driving? Who's driving? Who's driving? I don't Give know. up? Yeah. The police officer in the front. Hey, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because it's true. That's right, man. I, right. I actually, I worked at the Edmonton Young Offender Center when I just got out of high school as a recreational therapist. And I noticed uh, seven out of 10 guys in there were native. And I was right. thinking, there's only two conclusions you can come to. If you're working here and you see this, uh, you can either think, oh, they're born criminals or we have a racist justice system. Exactly. And uh, I'm inclined to think the latter rather than the former.
Exactly. Then they let out Bill Cosby and think that's going to help. No. Yeah. The the 20, letting out a rapist. Doesn't matter. What yeah. The rate. $20 million escape plan, eh? Just right. wire up and you can get away with anything. Exactly. Well, it's been a great episode with you today, David. I hope to have you on again. Yeah. Anytime yeah, I'm sure. at your disposal. Awesome. We'll make sure that we get all your uh, websites and everything up onto the uh, descriptions. Um, we'll be good. able to listen to it on all the podcast platforms on our website and on YouTube at Credible Mohawk Entertainment. All right. Yep. Keep on uh, with the good work. A shame. Think something new. Understand. Mm. You can't take back some things you already done, done. No. You blame things that you do on somebody else. Uh, no. But they all see, but they all see is you need help. Thank you.